The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. All right, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Can everybody hear me without the microphone? We'll go no microphone. Um, if you didn't get one of these or if any of your friends come in later, uh, hey, how's it going? Uh, there's some in the back, um, so we'll just kind of follow this outline uh, as we go. Um, so my name is John Ivanko. I'm on staff with Campus Outreach Louisville. Uh, it wouldn't be a Campus Outreach seminar if I didn't put a picture of my family up there. Uh, so that's me and my wife, Shannon. Uh, we've been married for five and a half years now. And then, um, nope, not going to move that. Uh, and then that is my little girl, Evelyn. She was in here playing with the microphone uh, just a little bit ago. And then that is uh, our little son, Andrew. He's uh, five months old. Um, so that's our family. Uh, so we've been on staff. Uh, this is my seventh year. Uh, I'm the area director at Louisville, which means uh, I'm, I'm on staff at Louisville and at Bellarmine. Uh, so I love college students. God saved me. Uh, I became a Christian when I was a freshman at UofL. And I just, I think God loves to use that 18 to 22-year-old window uh, to change lives. And so that's why I do what I do. I'm so thankful that you guys are here. Um, today we're talking about uh, the church. So if this is, if you thought this was something else, now's your chance to leave. Uh, one of my, like, pet peeves at conferences is anytime I talk to a student and they're like, the seminar was good, but I thought he was going to talk about something else. Like, it didn't really go where the title made me think he was going to go. And then they're like, the whole seminar, they're sitting in there wishing they were in a different seminar. If that's you, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Like, you can totally get up uh, and leave now. But I'm so excited that you guys are here. Um, the church, I was looking at all the other talks that are, all the seminars that are happening this hour, and I thought, man, if I wasn't giving this seminar, I'd probably be going to a different uh, seminar. <laughs> so kudos to you guys for being here. Um, I fully believe... Um, even though the topic isn't as catchy or as, as sexy as uh, other topics may be, this uh, is so important. Um, Jesus said that he was going to build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Um, so if you think about that imagery, uh, gates are defensive, right? And so the church is, is on offense. We are advancing in the, and hell is putting up gates. Hell is, is backpedaling. They're on defense, and the church is advancing. Uh, and we get to be a part of that, and that is so exciting. He didn't, you know, Jesus didn't say uh, the gates of hell won't prevail against campus outreach. He was talking about the church, and so I'm so excited that you guys are here. Um, I think this is super important. Um, there are a ton of misconceptions about the church, and so the, the reason I know that is because I've had almost all of them. And so one of the things I'm going to do as I give the talk, is I'm going to sprinkle in misconceptions uh, throughout the talk, a misconception and a truth. If I get fired up and I start yelling or whatever, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the 20-year-old version of me that had every single one of these misconceptions. Um, so those are free as we go along. Um, I want to give you a framework uh, to kind of think about uh, the church before we even move in. And... Um, it's this. I heard this a couple years ago, and it's really stuck with me, but it's that every relationship that we have 
can be boiled down into one of two categories, either a consumer relationship or a covenant relationship, okay? Consumer or covenant. All right, so a consumer relationship is a relationship that you're in primarily because of what you can get out of it, all right? So an example of that would be um, at Louisville, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys experience this too, but the freshman cafeteria, all right? The freshman cafeteria is full of freshmen because at Louisville they're required to live on campus and they have all these meal swipes that they basically just have to use. They are going to the freshman cafeteria. They're not going because they just love the freshman cafeteria. They have an intimate relationship with them and they just, through thick and thin, they are there together with the freshman cafeteria no matter what happens. No, they're just going because they have a swipe and they have to use it, right? It is totally consumer-based. As soon as they don't have any swipes. They're not going to pay the 10 or $12 or whatever it is to go eat there. They're not committed. It is just a consumer interaction. A covenant relationship is the exact opposite of that. So an example of that would be like my relationship uh, with my son. All right, my son, Andrew, five months old. This is going to sound bad. He doesn't really do anything that makes me love him. He poops. He eats. Like, there's nothing where he's like, Andrew, because you did that for me, I love you so much. It's a covenant relationship. I love Andrew because he's my son. And there's something beautiful about that. No matter if he comes home in second grade and he makes straight A's or he, you know, fails out of the second grade if that's possible. No matter what, I love him because he's my son. That's a covenant uh, relationship. And so when the Bible talks about church... The Bible uses covenant language, not consumer language. So one of the, the images, as I was thinking about it, one of the images I thought of uh, was this. This is a Navy SEAL uh, training. And so they are carrying these really heavy logs up a, you know, a, a hill covered in sand. These guys are committed to one another. And that's the image I like to think of when I think of the church, that no matter how tough it gets, we are in this together. We are marching forward, uh, committed to one another. The problem is, I think in our church today, this is more the image that we, if we're honest with ourselves, we view church as a place, it's me and God, and really, we might not use the language, but I'm there to be entertained. I'm there to consume. Um, instead of a covenant relationship with a church, it's consumer Instead of a, a commitment, I think, in our churches today, we're seeing people that have a desire to be entertained. Um, and so just keep that framework uh, as we move forward. My, my goal, my prayer is that everyone in this room, that we would leave uh, wanting to have a covenant love and commitment and submission to the local church. I mean, I think if everyone in this room uh, did that, that would be so cool. All right, um, so when we think about the church, all right, there's two types of church that we talked about in the Bible. One is the universal church, all right, so that's Christians everywhere, all right? I think we're, yeah, we're getting into the outline now. Um, Christians everywhere, and that's called the universal church. So we, if you're a Christian in here, you and I, even though we don't live in the same city or anything like that, we are all part of this universal church. That's Christians everywhere. Uh, today we're talking about the local church, all right? So break into groups of just two, three, four people. 
and answer these two questions. Why is what we're doing right now? There are a lot of Christians in here. We are gathered to talk about Jesus. We're going to be talking about the Bible. Why is that not church? Why is what we're doing right now not church? Right? I think we all know that it's not, but, but put some language to it. Why is it not church? Uh, and then kind of the root of that question is how would you define church? So get in groups of two to three and take just like a couple minutes and discuss that. And I want to hear some of y'all's thoughts. All right, um, y'all can go back into your seats. What are some things that you guys said? I just want to hear a few. Yeah, go ahead. We don't have what? Okay, okay. What else? Yeah. This is a temporary. Okay. Right, right. Yeah, it's good. What else? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They make the uh, the first year staff do all the serving usually here. So, <laughs> yeah. What else? How did anybody take a shot at defining church? It's it's really funny. Uh, we talk about church all the time, right? It's a common word, but it's so hard to put a definition to it. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. What's that? Who's us? So yeah, so uh, kind of what I was saying earlier, there's two, There's when the Bible talks about the church, you have the universal church. If you're a Christian, you're part of the universal church. Uh, and then we also have the local church. Yeah. So here's my definition for the local church. Um, so if you have your, these are the first blanks on your sheet. Um, a group of Christians who have covenanted together to practice the biblical commands of the church. All right. A lot of you are like, John, you use the word church in the definition. I know. Uh, it's a group of Christians who have covenanted together to do what? Uh, well, in order to make the definition to not be super clunky, I just said to practice the biblical commands of the church. Uh, and then I have those in, in parentheses there. And, and those aren't even all the, the commands of the church. I just put um, a, a lot of them. So did I make this up? Is church just this man-made, organized religion, a way to control people? Or is this ordained? Uh, did, did Jesus and the New Testament writers institute this idea? And so... I don't want to convince you from myself. I want to convince you from the scripture uh, that church, church membership, all these ideas are found in the scripture. And so the first passage I want to look at is Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Um, this is Jesus speaking. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two 
uh, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And so the, the first three blanks there are just the same three um, from that definition. And so I want to look at each of those individually. So the first one, a group of Christians. A group of Christians. So notice that Jesus just assumes that Christians are going to be part of a local church, right? He just assumes that in the passage, and these are even the bad ones, right? This guy uh, has sinned against someone. He's been confronted. He's like, nope, I'm not doing that. He brings two or three more, and he's like, nope, I'm not doing that. This guy is a, you know, a bad Christian. He's part of a church. The Bible, Jesus, just assumes that Christians are going to be part of a church. And the second thing I want you to see is notice that the church here is described as a group of people and not a weekly event. Uh, that's, that's the first uh, misconception, is that church is an event that I attend on Sunday. But the truth is that the church is a group of Christians that I commit to. I've been guilty of it, that church is something I go to on Sunday. Um, so the, going off this idea that it's a group of Christians, what is a Christian? When we say a group of Christians, what makes someone a Christian? Well, Mac, Mac has talked about it twice. It's someone who has repented of their sin and has put their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we believe as Christians that our sin has separated us from God. And it's not just, I love what Mac said, that sin is actually bigger than sins. It's one of the few words where the plural is smaller than the singular. That we have a, a sin nature. I've heard it said that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. And our sin has separated us from a loving, perfect, and holy God. Jesus came. He lived the perfect life. And I love the language Mac used. He ransomed us. He paid the price. And he gave us his righteousness. He rose again that we could be made right with God. And so the church is full of people who have repented of their unbelief and have put their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. So what does that mean? It means that the church is full of sinful people. All right, so the next misconception is I'm going to find the perfect church. Now, I haven't actually heard anyone actually say these words, but I've heard a lot of people say, man, the music at this church is perfect and the preaching at this church is amazing, but the music at, with the, the one with the good preaching, the music's bad. And then the one with the good music, the preaching's not good. And, and can we, just, can we just get a perfect church where the people don't do this and they do this or whatever? Guys, the church is full of sinful people who have been redeemed by Jesus, so there's not a perfect church. I have a saying that the church is full of sinners, and we've always got room for one more. You're welcome to join. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. The church is full of sinners, and we've always got room for one more. Um, all right, defined membership. That's the next thing under group of Christians. Um, uh, defined membership. All right, so Jesus is talking local church here with defined membership. All right, how do we know? I think there's three things, probably more, three that I noticed from this passage. One, one way is that we know that, it, one way we know it's talking about the local church is that Jesus 
commands uh, these Christians to tell it to the church. When the two or three brothers are offended, he says, go tell it to the church. Well, if it's talking about the universal church, how are you going to tell all Christians everywhere? You can't. It's a, he's definitely talking about a local church where you could bring it in front of the church. Uh, the second thing is Jesus commands that this unrepentant brother be removed from the church. Well, if there's not a defined membership, how are you going to remove somebody from the membership? All right, and then in verse 18, uh, let's go back there. Verse 18, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is saying, I want your church to reflect the realities of heaven. I want your church to reflect the realities of heaven. So what does that mean? It means that the membership role at your church, as best as you can tell, right? We aren't the Holy Spirit. We can't see people's hearts. But as best as we can tell, the membership role at your church, we want it to look like heaven. We want people who are walking with God, who, are, who have repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus that is who should be in the local church. That's important because if I'm not walking with Jesus, I want the brothers and sisters who are watching over and caring for my soul in love to say, John, you're not looking, you don't look like a Christian right now. This, this church is for Christians. We're going to have to remove you if you don't walk uh, as a believer, right? And we see this idea also in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, if you want to write that down, we don't have time to go there. But 1 Corinthians 5, we see this same idea. Don't hear me say what I'm not saying. We want non-Christians to come to church. They are welcome in our doors. We want them to come every Sunday. But as far as the membership goes, um, we see in Scripture that membership uh, is, is defined. It's a defined membership of Christians. All right. Second thing. Covenanted together. Covenanted together. So I already said it, but the church is a people you are covenanted with and not an experience on Sunday. So a covenant, we've talked about already, a is a mutually binding agreement. So another example is marriage. All right? How many of you have been to a wedding? Or is anybody in here married? I know there's a few married. Okay, we've got a few married people up here. When you get married... When you give your vows, what, what do people say? You say, for better or for worse, in sickness and health, poverty or wealth, till death do us part, right? The, the marriage vows are not when you gain weight or, you know, I'll love you until you gain weight or I'll love you until you, you start doing that thing I hate and stop doing this thing that I love. It's till death do us part in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth. That's, a, that's the picture of a covenant, all right? So my church, and I'm, I'm sure if you guys go to church or members of a church, that church probably has a covenant too. When I joined my church, I actually had to sign the covenant and say, I'm willing to agree to these things with all the members of this church. It's things like bearing one another's burdens and sorrows. We want to proclaim the gospel faithfully in our community. We want to bring up all of our children, not just my children, but as a church, we want to bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right. So some of you might ask, 
John, why do I need the church to do those things? Why do I need to commit to a church to do those things? I'm glad you asked. Um, ladies, if a guy, let's say you all have been dating for a couple years, okay? And he says, honey, we don't have to get married. You're ready to get married, but he just says, we don't have to get married. I'll just love you in general. Why does that not sound, does that, is, I don't I'm married, but ladies in here, does that work nowadays? No. Um, why, does that, why does that not feel right? Because what, what he's saying is, for now, you're meeting my needs. But when that stops, I reserve the right to get out. I'm, I'm, I'm holding that here. It's the same with the church. It is so easy to say, I'm going to love people in general. That's easy. But when you say, I'm going to love this particular group of Christians, that particular defined group of Christians can hold you accountable if you're not doing it. That's hard, but it's biblical. It brings more joy. That's a covenant type of love. Here's why this is important. Ever since you became a Christian, God has been in the work in your life of making you less selfish, more loving, and more like Christ. Ironically, if you view church as a consumer, even going to church every Sunday, you're not going to become more loving, more loving and less selfish. You're going to become more selfish and less loving. But if you will sacrificially submit to a group of believers who are difficult to love sometimes, you will become more loving, less selfish, and more like Christ. If you want to fall in love with the church, if you want to thrive in your walk with Christ, you've got to do it within a local body who's covenanted together. All right, the third part of that definition, practicing the biblical commands of the church. So we've got a defined group of people who are in covenant with one another to do what? to practice the commands that the Bible has laid out that we should be doing in the church. Now, I just don't have time to go over every single one of these. They are going to be kind of sprinkled in throughout the talk. I've already talked about membership, uh, which is on there, and I'm going to go over some of the other ones as we go. Uh, we just don't have time to hit on every one of them. And so that's it for now with the definition. But one more thing uh, that I want you to see from this passage is that, uh, I said it earlier, but that church is a representation of a heavenly reality. How many of y'all have traveled to a foreign country before? Okay, how many of y'all was at a foreign country where you weren't just like a tourist in like the American spots? Like I went to, you know, a cruise to Mexico one time and we ported and it was basically still America there. They were just trying to sell us, you know, a bunch of stuff. How many of y'all have been where it's like cross-cultural? Man, I feel completely out of place here. Okay, it's maybe like half of y'all. Uh, a few years ago, I went to China, and for the first time in my life, I felt completely out of place. I didn't know how to get anywhere I wanted, and I couldn't ask anybody. Nothing was in English. Uh, everybody was behaving differently than me. Uh, they were eating different foods than I'm used to. Um, one of the craziest things I saw, though, was this, okay? I was at lunch. I turn around. I don't know if you can tell what he's doing. He has a straw down the bone of a chicken leg or something, and he's drinking the bone marrow, all right? I, and the, when I saw it, it was a big old turkey leg or something, and he just had a straw, and he was just drinking it like a drink. And 
I was like, this is weird. All right. Well, I look around, and I don't know what was weirder, the fact that this guy was drinking bone marrow from a straw or the fact that no one else thought it was weird. It was like he just had a water and he was sipping it, and no one else thought it was weird that this guy was drinking bone marrow from a straw. All right. I felt completely out of place. Why? Because I was in a foreign land. Now, even in China, this is a picture of the American embassy in China. All right. Even in China, as out of place as I felt, I could go to the, uh, the American embassy here, and the second I stepped foot in the door, it would feel like I'm in America again. Why? Because the American embassy is actually American soil in China. Everyone there would speak English. They would, they would know what I was, I would feel at home again. Even in the middle of a foreign land, I would feel at home. All right? The Bible says that we as Christians live in a foreign land. This earth is not our home. Heaven is our home. We are living in a foreign land. Where is the heavenly embassy on earth? It's the church. In the same way that I would feel like I was in America, uh, at the American embassy in China, in a foreign land, the heavenly embassy here on earth is the church. Um, Misconception. Earth, I've never heard anyone actually say this, okay? I live my life like this probably every day, though, sadly. Earth is my home. And church is where I go to think about heaven. Right? Does that resonate with anybody? We don't, we don't say it, but we, we feel it. We live that way. The truth is, as a Christian, heaven is my home. And my church helps me keep that perspective. All right. I wanted to spend the most time there on the definition. So uh, we'll move through the rest of this a little bit quicker. Um, all right. You need the church. We're on to that next next. Uh, bolded statement there. You need the church. So I have two ways that you need the church. Number one, you need the church to obey God's command. To obey God's command. So Jesus, the whole Testament assumes that Christians will be part of a local church. Uh, I saw this tweet uh, a few weeks ago. I don't even know who Scotty Smith is, uh, but I thought this was great. He said, saying, I need Jesus, but not the church is to say, I need Jesus, but not everything Jesus says I need. I thought that was pretty clever. Um, Acts 9, uh, this is one of my favorite passages, and it's not even a passage on the church, but we see something really cool here. Acts 9, um, this is Saul, who's also known as Paul, who goes on to write much of the New Testament. This is before he was a Christian. Okay, This was the experience that converted him to Christianity, right here. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Paul is trying, he's on the way. He wants to go kill Christians. Now as he was on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul's on the way to murder Christians. And Jesus knocks him off his horse. And he says, 
Saul, Saul, why are you going to persecute that local church over there? No, what does he say? Why are you persecuting me? You think Jesus loves the church? You think he identifies with the church? He doesn't even say those people over there. He says, why are you persecuting me? I love that language. We as Christians are commanded to be like Jesus. We should have that same love, that same identity with the church that Jesus has. All right, so we're talking about how the church, uh, we need the church to be in obedience to God's command. Um, I think we can, my pastor says this all the time, that we can treat church like a spiritual buffet. We're especially guilty of this in, uh, in college. Oh, I got my campus outreach meeting this night. I got my discipleship group this night. I got my Bible study this night. I'm in the leadership team this night. Uh, and then I've got my, my church group on this night. And then I go to church on Sunday. And it's just one item on this buffet that I may or may not get, depending on how hungry I am or what I'm craving that day. Um, the misconception is that church is one option for my growth out of many. But the truth is that the church is the primary means God has given for your spiritual growth. Church is the primary means God has given for your spiritual growth. Now, don't hear me say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, hey, you don't need to read your Bible or pray or anything. Just go to church. You'll be good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying all those things need to be happening within the church. All right, so in, so first thing, you need the church uh, to obey God's commands. And then secondly, to thrive in your walk with Christ. To thrive in your walk with Christ. Yes, it's obedience. But all of God's commands are meant for us to thrive. I've heard uh, John Piper said, God is not a killjoy. He's opposed to everything that kills joy. God's commands are good because therefore are thriving. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, and let, us not, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting, neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, so misconception. Um, I can do better in my spiritual life by blank. I've heard so many people, oh, they're not religious. They're more of a spiritual person. They just like to read their Bible on their own on Sunday. Um, that's better than doing nothing. Um, truth, though, faithful membership in a healthy church will put you, put, put regular rhythms in your life that will cultivate spiritual life. All right, so we're coming up on the, the end of 2019. I want you to think about something. How many meals did you eat this year? Somebody, somebody take a guess. How many meals do you think you ate in 2019? 550. 550. All right, so he's eating less than twice a day right there. All right. I, I probably ate over 1,000 meals last year, right? Three times, 365. And usually I eat more than three times a day. I probably ate between 1,000 and 1,500 meals last year, okay? Second thing I want you to think about, how many of those meals do you remember? Like, man, okay, one out of 550. I remember uh, my parents got me a, a gift card to Ruth's Chris. Uh, Shannon and I celebrated our anniversary there. I remember that one, okay? The other 1,000 plus, I don't really remember, okay? What's crazy, though, every one of you and me, we are all alive physically today 
because we ate over a thousand meals last year that we don't even remember. Isn't that crazy? We don't even remember them, but we are alive today because of that. And the church is like that. The church puts regular rhythms in your life. You know, it's not eating three meals a day, but it's your church home group, uh, the Sunday service, hearing the word preached regularly, confessing sin to your brothers and sisters at the church, being on mission with your church, sharing the gospel with members in your community. Whatever it may be, the church puts those rhythms in your life for you. And so in the same way that we are alive physically today because we've had over a thousand meals, the regular rhythms of the church are going to provide life for you spiritually. I think that's so important. You will thrive most within a local church. All right, the church needs you. The church needs you. You need the church and the church needs you. All right, what I don't mean by this is that the church is, oh, if you don't join, the church is just going to fail and crash and burn. That's not what I mean by that. What I do mean is that as a Christian, God has uniquely equipped you to serve and to be a blessing to the church. All right? So this passage I'm about to read, this is my favorite passage in the whole Bible on the church. Um, So the church needs you internally. That's what I'm I'm talking about here. The church needs you internally. uh, And then we're going to go, the church needs you externally. But for now, the church needs you internally. My favorite passage on on the church, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Just as one body, this is, this is, ironically, this is Paul, who we just read about in Acts 9, who was on his way to murder Christians. Now here he is writing about the church. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all, is, but all its parts uh, form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given to the spirit, uh, given to the one spirit, to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now the foot should say, because I am not a hand. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, uh, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it were, there are uh, many parts, but one body. And so if you've ever heard the church referred to as the body of Christ, here's the main passage that it comes from. Uh, When somebody loses an arm, what do you say? They got dis what? dismembered right that's where it uh we are we are one body with many members okay uh, no part of the body can live outside of the body if i cut off my hand it's not you know you've heard the the uh the stories of frog legs jumping out of the the pan when you're cooking or if i cut off my hand that thing has no life in it outside of being connected uh to my body And so what was happening here in the church in Corinth is the members had jealousy. Oh, because I'm not the preacher, I am not a part of the body. Because I don't get to do this, I'm not a part of the body. And Paul is correcting that misconception. And he's saying, well, what if the ear said to the eye, well, since I'm not an eye, I don't want to be a part of the body. 
No, you're still a part of the body. Your, your job is to do the hearing, right? Um, he's saying he's using that exact analogy of the body of Christ. And so the scripture says that Jesus is the head and we are the body. Um, what that means for you is that God has specially made you to be a unique uh, blessing to the church with the gifts that he has given you. Um, every part of the body is necessary. All right, so my favorite analogy with this, think of the biggest, most macho man that you know. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't feel pain, okay? Uh, my sister up here is pointing to her husband saying, that's you. Um, this big macho guy, okay, he doesn't feel any pain, all right? Um, in theory. Let's say he is walking by uh, a doorpost and he stubs his pinky toe. What's good? It's over. <laughs> he stubs his pinky toe. Does his just little pinky toe hurt? No, his entire body, all 500 pounds of whoever you're imagining, is going to join in the agony. His tongue is going to join in the agony and yell something. His arms are going to start flailing. He's going to start jumping, right? His whole body is going to feel the pain of that little bitty pinky toe. That's the image that Paul gives us of the church. That when, when one part is hurting, the rest of the body feels it and comes to the rescue. Every single body part has a special um, way to serve. All right? So there are four. You think about your church. I'm sure there's formal ways. You can serve in the nursery, on the welcome team, the parking team. You can get involved with the ministry. There are tons of formal ways that you can get involved and be a blessing, and you should do those. Uh, but I also want you to consider just the blessing of your presence. All right? So a story from my church, um, there's a guy at my church uh, named Brian, all right? Brian uh, came to Christ uh, in our first, one of our first years on campus, uh, and now he's a member at our church. But two things you should know about Brian. One is that Brian uh, loves sports. Brian eats, breathes, plays, thinks about, watches sports all the time. His two favorite sports are basketball and ultimate frisbee. He's always texting me about When's the next time we're going to play? The second thing you should know about Brian is that Brian is autistic. Okay, so a unique challenge that Brian has is that when he gets something in his brain, he is totally fixated on it, and he can't get rid of it. Rid of it. it totally bogs him down. And about a year ago, Brian tore his ACL. All right, so this crushed him. Okay, uh, the, the thing he loved to do to play sports, he couldn't... He, he didn't even feel comfortable coming to church because he, he could barely walk. And so Brian couldn't play sports. He, he became really depressed, honestly. Uh, he had his knee surgery. And about three, or, three months or so after his knee surgery, he texted me and said, John, I'm coming to church this week. He said, the one thing you need to know, though, is I can't stand for the songs. And he was wanting to make sure I wasn't mad at him because he couldn't stand for the songs. I said, Brian, you're welcome. Uh, you, I'm so glad that you're coming back to church. What Brian didn't know is there was another member of our church who sprained his knee at the, who, who tore his uh, ACL at the exact same time and had the same surgery within a week of when Brian did. Well, Brian comes, and I see them talking. I'm like, that's awesome. They're getting to connect and talk about uh, this knee problem they're having. Well, Brian sits next to me during the church service, but John, the guy who had the, the other knee, sat in front of us. The first few songs started, and Brian sat in his chair and kind of watched everyone singing. 
the last song came on, uh, in front of us, John was standing for all the songs and singing. And Brian was getting to watch John sing the truths of the gospel, to believe the truths of the gospel. And when the last song came on, Brian stood up and he began to sing uh, and praise the Lord and sing truths of the gospel. And after the service, Brian leaned over to me and he said, John, my name's John too. John, when I saw John up there standing and singing, even though he had the same knee surgery I did, I knew I could do it too. What's my point? Stand, stand when music comes on? No, that's not my point. My point is that, yes, John was singing songs to the Lord, but John was also singing to Brian's soul, who was sitting four rows behind him. Now, what if John wasn't there? What if John wasn't there? He wouldn't have had the opportunity to sing to Brian's soul. The body would have been hurting. The church needed John to be there singing praises. You've probably experienced this in your own life. When you're going through a hard time, what about seeing someone else who's gone through that same hard time singing and praising God and believing the gospel? That speaks to your soul. Not just them singing to God. That speaks to your soul too. This is my favorite uh, misconception, okay? Because of all of them, this is the one I've said a million times and I've actually heard people say. Misconception, I miss church on Sunday, okay? Uh, I had a pastor tell me this. He said, you didn't miss church. The church missed you. And I've, I've never forgotten it. Uh, you didn't miss church. The church missed you. I thought that was a beautiful picture uh, of what I'm trying to communicate here. Um, all right, the church needs you internally. The church also needs you externally. So as I said before, one of, the, uh, one of the duties of the church is to proclaim the gospel to the lost world. Um, and so your church membership is a witness to the gospel. Does anybody know how Jesus said, he said, people will know that you are my disciples by what? By your love for one another, okay? I've got news for you guys. Everyone in the world can explain rationally what we are doing here at this conference. When 18 to 22-year-olds get together and have a good time and love one another, the world can explain that. When an 18-year-old college student babysits for a 40-year-old single mother for free because he loves her, the world can't explain that. And so Jesus said, the, wor the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Guys, as the church, we should have a love that the world cannot explain outside of the love of Jesus. And so the church is where people from different economic and social backgrounds and races, they all come together into one body to love one another, and the world cannot explain it outside of the gospel of Christ. And so the misconception, uh, I can be a witness to Jesus all by myself. The truth is you need the church, and the church needs you to fully speak about the grace of God. All right. I'm going to fly through these. Uh, what's next? What's next? So I just want to give you some practical steps. Um, that's kind of the, the end of, of the content, but I just want to give you some practical steps of what to do back on campus. Uh, the first thing is put campus outreach in its rightful place. All right. I love campus outreach. I work for campus outreach. Um, we have a saying that... The church is an ocean liner and we're a speedboat, 
right? The speedboat can do all kinds of things. It can make quick turns. It can reach down and grab people low to the water. If I see something right there in a speedboat, I can turn and I can dodge it. There's some problems, though. It takes a couple hours maybe to run out of gas. Uh, it can only hold a few people, uh, right? The ocean liner, if you've ever been on one of those, you can live on one of those things. But, you know, you've got to spot something five miles out and start turning now, right? The church is more like an ocean liner. Campus Outreach is a speedboat. I like to think Campus Outreach is the special ops of the church. And we have one special task, and that is to reach college students with the gospel, all right? And so there's a student. Uh, he's, a, he's a Christian now. We used to call him Atheist Travis because he was an atheist. And he, uh, we were like, well, that would be cool because one day he'll become a Christian. We'll call him Christian Travis, and we don't. We just call him Travis now. Uh, but when he... He got involved with our ministry through an Ultimate Frisbee team. And then after a year and a half of being around our ministry, he became a Christian at a New Year's, New Year's Conference 2014. Uh, now he's a member of our church, uh, and he's reaching his community. Well, guess who didn't have an Ultimate Frisbee intramural team? My local church. They weren't there playing an intramural Frisbee team on UofL's campus. Campus Outreach did, though. Uh, and so they were able to use Campus Outreach as a platform to reach students. And so my encouragement to you is use Campus Outreach for what it's meant to be used for. Don't replace the church. Use it to fuel the church. Uh, the second thing, uh, join a healthy church in your, in your city. Um, join a healthy church in your city. And then the, the uh, third thing is to... Call, uh, Cultivate a covenant love with your church. Cultivate a covenant love for your church. You might say, well, how do I do that? I've got two quick ways I think you can do that as college students. One, as we saw earlier, almost every one of you in here is single. Okay? Uh, have you ever heard people talk about the gift of singleness? Has anyone ever heard people talk about the gift of singleness? That always irritated me because I'm like, I'm single and this is not a gift. All right? I want to be married, right? Um, I had a wrong view. I thought singleness was, the gift of singleness was a gift from God to me. It wasn't. It was something God had given me to be a gift to the church. Now that I'm married, my, my attentions, in a good way, are divided. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians as well. My attention, uh, my, my priorities, God, family, then ministry. A single person, God, and now I don't have anything next. I can pour my life out for the good of the church to reach others in the community. So as students, think, how can I use my singleness to be a blessing to the church? Can I, can I babysit for that single mother at church? Can I show up to more service opportunities than other folks in my church might have? What can I do? How can I use my singleness? The second thing is you have been trained. If you're a part of Campus Outreach, you have been trained how to make disciples. If you're a freshman, you will get trained how to make disciples. Uh, and not because Campus Outreach is special. Any college ministry could say this. Uh, most college ministries could say this. You are trained to make disciples. All right? That's better than probably 80, 90% of our church men and women today. So you can use that to be a blessing to the church. All right. I said join a church. What are three things you can look for um, in a healthy church? A church that sits under the authority of God's word. A church that sits under the authority of God's word. How can you tell if a church does this? Uh, a lot of ways. Two that I'm going to say here. Number one is the preaching. 
Does, do we just talk about whatever the pastor wants to talk about today? Or is the pastor sitting under the authority of God's word? I heard a pastor once say, you can't be carrying God's word beside you. You can't sit it next to you or in your lap. He put his Bible on his head and he said, we have to sit under the authority of God's word. Never forgot it. We have to sit under the authority of God's word. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. <laughs> Think about that. This preacher is preaching from the Bible, but it's not what I want to hear, so I'm going to find somebody who says what I want them to say. We see that in our culture today, right? Paul predicted it would happen, that we would turn to find teachers that suit our own needs to say what we want them to say. And he says, uh, and we need to find, but we need to find uh, a church that sits under the authority of God's word. And then the second thing is, is God's word permeated in the church life or is it just there uh, on Sundays? Is it permeating through uh, the church's life? Is the church being changed by God's word weekly or is it just, are they being stirred on Sunday? You want a church that's being changed by God's word. Second thing is a church that is centered on the gospel. The gospel that Mac is preaching that we have rebelled against God and he has saved us through Jesus by his grace. That needs to be preached every single Sunday. And then the third thing is a church with biblical community. Uh, I would encourage you to choose a church based on the preaching and the people instead of the preferences. We all have preferences. Preferences aren't bad. I would encourage you to choose a church, though, based on the preaching and the people over the preferences. Let me pray. I'll be up here if anybody has questions. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you that he died on the cross to save us from our sin. Lord, that he has bought us with his blood. And Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you that you have given us a people to walk with until we stand in your presence someday, that we aren't lone ranger Christians out on our own, Lord, that you have given us people that we can together marvel at your grace together with. Lord, I just pray um, for the students in this room, anybody that doesn't know you, Lord, that, that they would bow the knee to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, that's the first step. Before joining a church, Lord, anyone who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would bow the knee to Jesus. And Lord, I pray that everyone in this room, Lord, that we uh, would not have a consumer mindset, but we would show up to churches ready to serve and to give. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.